All right, are you ready for God's word? All right. We are in week eight of our sermon series called Messy Being a Jesus Community. This has been our long, slow journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been anchoring ourselves to this statement as we've gone on this journey. The way of Jesus is... But... Let's try that again. The way of Jesus is... But... Yes, you guys are with it. The way of Jesus is messy. If you really follow King Jesus with your whole heart and life, it is messy, but it is so worth it. So let's do a quick auctioneer-style recap of the last seven weeks. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, week one, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We started with the Beatitudes, and we talked about how God was introducing kingdom theology through Jesus, and it was all about God's upside-down kingdom, taking everything that they knew and flipping it on on its head and saying, this is the way of my kingdom. Then the next week, we did not move on at all. We stayed on the same verses, and we talked about how we should shift our focus from being blessed to being a blessing. And we recognize that the kingdom of God, all the good things of heaven are here now through the people of God faithfully following the way of Jesus. And then in week three, we talked about salt and light. And we talked about how Jesus called ordinary people like you and me to live ordinary lives, transformed and empowered by an extraordinary God. Then week four, we talked about how anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. Can I get an amen? We recognize that the way we speak about one another matters. The way that we speak about people, whether we know them or not, whether they're with us or not, it matters because it does something to our hearts. And we talked about how love for enemies is a complete and total heart shift that informs our actions. And then week five, we talked about the law and really about how guardrails are like the rules. And guardrails are good, but heart transformation is better. So not even needing the guardrails is the best way to drive. I don't remember the driver's name, but Ethan gave me a new driver that I have to learn about. That's real good, and we all want to drive like him. And so we ask the question, am I simply avoiding a wreck or am I pursuing King Jesus with my whole heart? Week six, we talked about when we're doing things for for God's glory, when we're doing kingdom things, our heart motive matters. And so we had three questions that we asked ourselves to check our hearts. Number one, who gets the glory, me or God? Number two, is there a desire in my heart to manipulate a situation to get what I want? And then number three, who am I trying to impress? And ultimately, our aim is that all of our heart is oriented towards the glory of God. Week seven, we dove into the Lord's Prayer. We talked about how the way that Jesus taught us to pray shapes us. It teaches us about who he wants us to be. And we recognize that the way of Jesus is really a together way. We are stuck with each other. Yay! I find it a privilege to be stuck with you. 
And that really this prayer compels us to remain invested in the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. It calls us to recognize that ongoing daily dependence on God is where we need to anchor ourselves to. And it also talked about rather than storing up treasure in heaven or here on earth, wow, rather than storing up treasures here, we choose generosity and daily dependence on King Jesus. We also talked about how a healthy soul must give and receive forgiveness and at the end of the prayer, we're reminded that we own our need for daily guidance. Lord, help me, lead me, because I cannot lead myself. And then last week, we talked about heart posture. We talked about this concept of abundance mentality versus scarcity mentality. And that really, God wants us to anchor ourselves to a mentality of abundance so that we can live with open hands and generosity and feel free to love one another rather than being enslaved to this myth of scarcity where we're really unable to do anything but live in fear. So, heaven is here now, and the treasure is God's presence. All other treasures of this world are just a bonus. And according to Jesus, my heart determines what I see. We ended with the question of what is my ultimate concern? Because ultimately, whatever our ultimate concern is drives our decisions in life. And we hope that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our ultimate concern is always that which concerns King Jesus. Amen? All right, let's take just a moment. I'm going to take a deep breath. And let's zoom out because, y'all, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we are almost done with the Sermon on the Mount. We are beginning to land the plane of Jesus' long sermon. And so I want to zoom out for a moment and ask where we've been. What is this overarching concept that we can see of Jesus as we walk slowly through his sermon? And I want to remind you of this. As Jesus is teaching, Jesus was aiming at reshaping a people to better represent his father. So he's got all of these followers of Jesus gathered around them. And it's his moment that his aim is to reshape them. He's saying, you have thought this was what my father's heart looked like? But listen, this is actually what my father is passionate about. Come follow me this way. You see, at its core, the people who were following Jesus at this point, they overemphasized the law. They overemphasized rule following, and they totally missed the heart. They overemphasized this concept of rule following while their hearts were still yucky. And Jesus is saying, my God wants your heart. Everything else flows out of that. So let's deal with heart transformation and the rest will come. So that's where we've been. It's really this beautiful message of grace and heart transformation. 
And so that's what we're leaning into together. So let's continue on. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand in honor of reading God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along on the screen. This is the New Living Translation. Church, let's hear the word of our Lord. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to a friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. The word of our Lord. You can be seated. Before we dive in, I want to remind you today that we're really looking for God's heart in Jesus' sermon. And so again today, rather than nitpicking apart each verse... We're flying over to try and see what is the essence of what King Jesus was hoping that his followers would adopt from hearing these words. And so it's important for us to be reminded that everything in the Sermon on the Mount builds upon itself. So Jesus was a real smart preacher. He wasn't just like skipping around like maybe I might do sometimes. No, Jesus was really smart. And so he's building on where we started. So think about where we started. Jesus initially introduces the upside down kingdom. And then as we've moved through Jesus's sermon, he has been revealing more and more about just how upside down it is. So he started out by saying, my kingdom is upside down, and now he's been saying, and this is what that upside down kingdom looks like. So he's been unfolding what it looks like to live within that upside down kingdom in the here and now. 
And so today, we open with this topic of judgment. And man, Scripture has some things to say about judgment. And if we're honest, it can be conflicting at times. Perhaps feels a little contradictory, so rather than not making eye contact with that, let's just stare it down. Amen? So look at 1 Corinthians 5 with me. This is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and the beginning of 13. Paul said to the Corinthians, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. So Paul says, don't judge outsiders, but judge those in the church. God will judge those on the outside, okay? But then if we back up in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul says, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one, whatever praise is due. And then we, we literally just read Jesus say, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Well, which one is it? So I have a doodle for you from the book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Because there's two meanings in the original language for this word judge. Definition A, if you'll leave that up for me for a little bit as we talk through this, means to discern. So really to delineate the difference between two things, to designate difference, okay? So apples are not oranges, correct church? They're just not oranges. So you're distinguishing between two things. That is definition A, to discern. But definition B of judgment is to condemn. And this is when we begin to say things like, apples are less than oranges. I don't know, what do you think? Do you really love oranges? But if you notice, they've got like flames and size. God hates apples. Death to apples. So these are the two common ways that this word for judge is used in Scripture. To discern and to condemn. That second option leads to the devaluing of the person on the other end of that. It leads to this attitude that is exactly what got Jesus killed. The first definition is meaningful because we do have this definite call to discernment, which much of our message next week is going to be about discernment. And so we have the tricky task of walking this line between discerning right from wrong, good from evil, and maintaining a posture that does not lean into condemnation. Apples are less than oranges. Because this concept of condemnation carries with it this idea that you are judging from a seat of superiority. So the posture of judgment is like me up here, you down there. You know what I'm saying? That's the difference. Discernment, something about this doesn't seem right. 
Let's figure it out. To condemn me better than you. Do we see the difference in that, those two words? So I, I think if we were to kind of narrow this down to the heart of Jesus that he's hoping our hearts will be transformed into as we walk this line trying to delineate discernment and judgment is this. We have to remember our use of discernment does not give us a license to condemn. Okay, our use of discernment does not give us a license to condemn. So we absolutely have the task of delineating right from wrong and walking with one another through those spaces, but condemnation casts out, alienates. Okay, so let's put some skin on this. Let's say you're diehard. I'm trying to pick which side do I go. Democrat. And you're like those nasty Republicans. Discernment or condemnation? I don't know. Or maybe you're a Republican and you're like, I don't know how anybody could love Jesus and be a Democrat. Maybe you're navigating that really hard space of journeying with a friend, a child, who is navigating difficult conversations about sexual identity. There's a path of discernment and there is a path of condemnation. Maybe you're walking with somebody who's struggling with financially and is in need, there is a path of discernment and there is a path of condemnation. And it is easy to teeter into condemnation. And so the heart of Jesus compels us to recognize, yes, we have a duty with the Holy Spirit's help to discern right from wrong, leaning on Scripture, but we have no license to condemn. So I want to read a quote from the book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Skyjitani said this, The type of judgment Jesus forbids is the sort that condemns another person. Sinful judgment devalues a person or a group of people. It diminishes their inherent worth as those made in God's image. Instead, they become seen as subhuman species, undeserving of our respect or love. Continuing on, he said this, in some cases, the judgment may cause us to think they are unworthy of life itself. The command to judge not is a warning to exclude, a warning not to exclude anyone from the reach of God's love or to see ourselves or our group as inherently superior to another. I'm reminded as we are talking about this of the act of communion. 
And there's something so beautifully significant about receiving the Lord's Supper together. Because it reminds us that at the end of the day, every single one of us needs the same gifts. The body and blood of King Jesus. And any one person that is lost in our world that we may be tempted to categorize as maybe making choices far beyond God's goodness, they are welcome at the same table. What a gift. What a gift. So here we are in this Like, that's cute and fun to talk about, but it's a messy middle space, church. It's this place where we stand together to walk the way of Jesus faithfully together. There must be space for hard conversation where discerning right from wrong, good and evil is happening. That's the only way we grow. But within this are some warnings for us. Two, in fact. I'm going to take us back to 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, where Paul is urging the church not to judge those outside, but that we judge, discern with one another inside the church, right? That is our job of walking with one another. Sometimes we're going to see things in each other that we have to go, hey, friend, let's do this together. You're not alone. I'm not alone. We can navigate this together. Paul says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. And so I wonder if this is the heart of God. And I want to hold this humbly. But this is where I've landed personally in my journey with Jesus. Those who do not claim to be Jesus followers are not our responsibility to judge. Those who do not claim to be Jesus followers are not our responsibility to judge. And so there's a sense for me that it's like a sigh of relief, like, whoo, let go of that burden. Like, I don't have to keep worrying. I don't, I don't have to get my, bull, my bullhorn out and my typing fingers and let everybody know that they're not following the way of Jesus. Not my job. Praise God. We're released from that. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's believing that God's provenient grace is still at work, compelling people to his selves to himself, and he's not going to do it through us with our bullhorns. And so we're just kind of freed at that point to love really extravagantly. Because the reality is, the church at times can stand with our metaphorical or legitimate bullhorns shouting the ways of God's kingdom at People who have not pledged themselves to the same value system as us. Like, we've chosen King Jesus, praise God, and we're going to follow King Jesus with all our hearts, amen? But they haven't. And so, really, they have no obligation to our lifestyle. 
We hope that they choose it. We hope that that happens because we believe it's the very best for them. And we know that they will be held accountable, but it's not our job. When they join the journey, we embrace them and we journey with them. Until then, we extend radical, uncomfortable, messy love. Because church, it is nearly impossible to judge and love at the same time. It is nearly impossible to judge and love at the same time. So that's the first warning I think that we have in this text is those who don't claim to be Jesus followers are not our responsibility to judge. So just breathe a sigh of relief. Take that off your shoulders. It's on God's, not ours. And so we get to follow Jesus in the way of radical love. Second warning. Let's talk about planks. Planks in the eye, get it? Okay. If I could summarize that whole concept about not getting the speck out of your friend's eye while you've got a plank in your own, I would boil it down to these words. Self-awareness kills self-righteousness. But self-righteousness blinds us to humble self-awareness. Now that's wordy. So just process that with me. Self-awareness, so knowing yourself, your struggles, your challenges, go to therapy, a big fan. Self-awareness kills self-righteousness. It is real hard to be high and mighty when you know your own struggles. But self-righteousness, when we are on that seat of superiority, it blinds us to humble self-awareness. In other words, when we are self-righteous, we cannot see the things that we are being tripped up on because we're so busy looking at other people. Let's just let that kind of seep in. Let me give you an illustration Straight from, like, scripture time. So consider the Sanhedrin. Now, that's a big, funny word for a religious group that was functioning in the time when Jesus was in ministry. So this this religious group, and this religious group that claimed to be following the way of God, worked overtime to get Jesus killed. Okay, this leads to the celebration of Easter. But they worked overtime to get Jesus killed. They broke numerous laws, their own laws. They broke numerous laws in their attempts to find a speck of sin in Jesus' eye so that they could have him crucified. They worked overtime, desperately trying to find something wrong so that they could justify crucifying Jesus. They were so blinded by their own self-righteousness that they could no longer discern right from wrong or godliness from wickedness. 
Uh, and so I feel like as we, as we look at the Sanhedrin as an example, I have to think, man, if I sin in my attempt to correct another person, right? If I sin in my aim of correcting my husband, what's the point, right? What's the point? Self-awareness, knowing ourselves, knowing our need for grace, knowing our place in our journey with Jesus before self-righteousness. And really, it's this beautiful, beautiful cycle that I, I just think really relieves me as a person that really wants to follow the way of Jesus. And it's this. I'm reminded the greatest gift, you got it, the greatest gift I can give to society is not bullhorns, is not angry Facebook posts, is not picketing with hateful signs about Jesus. The greatest gift I can give to society is to give my whole heart and life to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest, period, end of story, the greatest gift I can give to the world, to the cause of Christ, is to give my whole heart and life to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Because you see, here's what happened, church. When we choose that way, instead of some of the normal ways the church has tried to manipulate people into following the way of King Jesus, what happens is our cultural influence becomes natural and not rooted in condemnation. If we can focus on the heart transformation, our cultural influence is natural and not rooted in condemnation. And so we lean into the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and then live out the call to faithfully follow the way of Jesus in and around our community. Woo! So if we keep moving on, there's a couple really interesting verses that have to do with pigs and pearls. Those are fun. So I have a challenge for you. Because literally we could spend the next six hours on pigs and pearls and I did not order catering. So, I want to challenge you to do something. This week, with your community group, with people you do life with, if you're not in a community group, do this around the kitchen table. I want to invite you to ponder Matthew 7, 6, the verse about pigs and pearls. And I want you to ponder it in light of all the surrounding verses. All these things we're talking about. Judgment, not judgment. A heart posture to discern, not judge. All of these themes that Jesus is teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount. What in the world could Jesus have meant? Talking about pigs and pearls. And then I want to hear. What did your community group think? Deal? You're all looking at me like, yeah, no. Come on, somebody be like, challenge accepted. There's one person. <laughs> Let's continue on. Verses 7 through 11, some familiar passages, likely if you've heard a sermon on preaching or on prayer ever. 
Jesus encouraged the, encourages his followers to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He uses the illustration of good parents, and he, he says, you good parents, you know how to give good gifts. So if you who are sinful humans can give good gifts, cannot our perfect father give perfect gifts abundantly? And I think again, again, if we look in context with all that Jesus has been saying, I think his, his, sorry guys, I think his point is simple. Just ask. Just ask. Just ask. And here's why I think it's that simple. Based on the context, the scripture that comes before and after, I think there's actually two things that Jesus might be trying to teach here. I think he has something to say about how we interact with one another and how we interact with God. I want to show you this doodle. It takes us back to conversations we've been having. Funny how Jesus does that, you know, keeps talking about the same thing so that we'll maybe get it. The top one maybe shows our tendency, right, to get what we want, right? We manipulate, we lie, we flatter, we deceive, we control, we scheme, we hide to get to our goal, right? And, and I, I wonder if Jesus' message is just like, hey, just, just ask and ask again and, keep, and ask You see, we talked a few weeks ago about our human temptation to manipulate, right? To use power to get what we want. And I think Jesus is challenging us again to simply ask. I wonder if what Jesus might be saying is outside of the family, yeah, maybe you would have to manipulate, to coerce, to control, to deceive, but not in my family. Your family of origin, maybe you had to lie and steal and manipulate to be safe, to get your basic needs met. But Jesus is saying, y'all, not in my family. Just ask. Just come. You don't have to be fake. You don't have to coerce. There's no magic words. Just ask. So interactions with other people and with God just ask, just seek, just knock, don't give up, but let's not follow the way of the world into the way of manipulation. And pertaining to prayer, I think we can learn this. God is easy to get to in prayer. God is easy to get to and he is eager to listen, no convincing necessary. He's there to hear us. The last one, this is my favorite part, I think. Verse 12 is the golden rule. Do you all have it memorized? Treat others the way you want to be treated, right? I think this is literally a gift from God. How many of you remember WWJD? Everybody now, what does that mean? What would Jesus do? Yes, made widely popular in the 90s. I had, you know, like 16 bracelets up one arm. The interesting thing, think about this church, the interesting thing about WWJD is to be obedient to WWJD, you've got to have deep knowledge of Jesus. To know what Jesus would do, you've got to be deep, steeped in the way of Jesus. 
so that you might indeed be able to do what Jesus would do. I love this verse because I think in God's divine wisdom, through Jesus, we were gifted an even easier guide to follow. If I were fill in the blank, what would I like to be done to me? If I were fill in the blank, how would I like to be treated in this situation? Let's look at another doodle from What If Jesus Was Serious. It leans on this concept of moral development or spiritual formation. We start out like babies, right? What do I want? Every child ever. What do I want? And then as we develop, maybe our question becomes, what would I want if I were you? And then full maturity Perhaps we find ourselves in this place where we can genuinely ask and answer, what would Jesus do? If you notice the asterisk, it says, knowledge about Jesus not included. Some spiritual formation required. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And so if we could receive this gift of the golden rule for a second, I I would summarize it this way. On our way to WWJD, Let's aim for WWIW. What would I want? And not in a selfish way, y'all. I think Jesus in his grace is saying, okay, as you get to know me, as you follow me, as you learn about me, let me give you this guide to help you be obedient to me. What would you want? If you could flip the roles, what would you want? This is God's grace to us. Let me give you a guide that will resonate deeper with you as you journey along your way discovering who I am. What a gift. So we're all next week going to get bracelets that say WWIW. And people are going to be like, you selfish humans, what would I want? But secretly, it's like helping us be more like Jesus. They just don't get it. Because we're cool. I'm going to invite the worship and prayer team. Worship team, gosh, I am still so trained from my old church. I'm sorry. Worship team to join me down front as we go into a time of reflection. And just as we seek King Jesus together for a few moments before we go our separate ways, I want to invite us to remember the table, the gifts of God's grace that we receive together. And if you walk away not remembering anything that that crazy preacher said, I hope you remember this. The greatest gift we can give society is hearts that are completely surrendered to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? In the midst of all of that, I think there's one question that's important. Does God have your whole heart? Does God have your entire heart? Is it fully submitted to the transforming power of our King? If you've 
hesitate or if the answer is no, today would be an amazing time to make that choice, to just trust God to do what only God can do. As the worship team leads us in just a moment, we're going to go into a time of prayer. Pastor Bo and I are going to be available for a time of anointing. If you need healing of any kind, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, we would love to just pray with you. But most importantly, let's allow the Lord to do some heart transformation today. Amen? Almighty God, we invite you into this messy space, the messy corners of our heart. And we just say, have your way. Come, show us where we need more of you. Show us the parts of ourselves that we're withholding from you. And help us to learn to walk the way of Jesus faithfully. We love you, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.